0: Hey guys, Connie here. If you've been a longtime listener, you know that I had to go gluten-free last year and your girl struggled. I'm a sweets girl, and one of my favorite snacks at night was a huge bowl of cereal. Up until now, I hadn't been able to find one that didn't taste like cardboard or air. Enter Magic Spoon. Magic Spoon has the amazing flavors you love, but without all the bad stuff. In my case, gluten. Magic Spoon has been a literal life changer for not only me, but my picky chicken tenders and fries only kids. Magic Spoon comes in a variety pack with four flavors, cocoa, fruity, frosted, and peanut butter. This pack has zero grams of sugar, 13 to 14 grams of protein, and only four net grams of carbs. That protein serving has been clutch for my kids in the morning, and I don't feel so guilty about snacking at night. With only 140 calories a serving, it's keto-friendly, gluten-free, grain-free, soy-free, and low-carb. It tastes like all of the cereal you loved from your childhood, only it's actually nutritious, so you can eat like a whole bowl without the added guilt. Go to magicspoon.com slash gruesome to grab a variety pack and try it today. And be sure to use our promo code GRUESOME at checkout to save $5 off your order. And Magic Spoon is so confident in their product, it's backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they'll refund your money, no questions asked. Remember, get your next delicious bowl of guilt-free cereal at magicspoon.com gruesome. And use the code gruesome at checkout to save $5 off. welcome to gruesome your horrific true crime podcast i am connie along with uh Romy to my michelle meg and she's gonna
1: rewatch of that
0: i agree she's gonna break your heart tonight with mary beth
1: tinning yes and a word of caution about today's episode we are dealing with infant death And if that is something that is particularly triggering to you, I would suggest that you skip this case in its entirety. All right, I'm going to (laughs) go. Yeah, I know. Honestly, I didn't realize what I had gotten into until I was too deep. So Mm -hmm. here we are. Mm -hmm. Um, But if you're here, I think you probably at some point heard about Gypsy Rose Blanchard whose mother, Dee, Dee, claimed that Gypsy was suffering from a myriad of symptoms, which led to her being diagnosed with all these illnesses and diseases, um, leukemia, muscular dystrophy. And unfortunately for Gypsy, her mother had been lying about those symptoms so that she could be seen as the ultimate caretaker and just like a loving, supportive mother, which she was not. Uh, it's stemmed from a mental disorder called Munchausen syndrome by proxy, and the by proxy is added when it's like a caretaker putting symptoms on a kid, mm-hmm. and it's Munchausen syndrome when they are pretending to be ill themselves or making up symptoms for themselves. And while Gypsy Rose is a very famous example, I want to talk about Mary Beth Tinning, who is regarded as another example of this. Are you ready? No. <laughs> your face does not look ready <laughs> okay Mary Beth herself was born on September 11th 1942 she's a Virgo in case you need that information her parents Ruth and Alton Rowe had her in Duane'sburg, New York Her father was deployed overseas during World War II, while her mother worked to provide a life for Mary Beth and eventually a younger brother, who came along when she was five years old. When her father returned, he went to work for General Electric, and they led a fairly normal, middle-class life. Though there's not a lot of, like, super credible information on this, she did allege that her father was abusive to her. Um, but the context in which she did that uh, is it's noted in a bunch of different ways. Some of them say that she said it, and then she took it back. Some of them said that she was just trying to draw attention away from herself. There's a lot of different reasons. Um, but she said she was just punished for things that were simply like crying. Uh, Mary Beth showed signs of unhappiness as a child. She felt like she was unwanted. She attempted suicide on more than one occasion. She told her brother constantly that he was the one that was wanted and she wasn't. She was an average student. And while she aspired to go to college, it just wasn't in the cards for her. As an adult, she found several different careers that worked out for her. She was a nurse's aide at Ellis Hospital. She was a bus driver. She was um, an ambulance driver. Lots of different things. In 1963, when Mary Beth was 21, she met Joe Tinning on a blind date. The two were married two years later in 1965. By all reports, Joe was quiet. For this entire episode, that is Joe. He's a quiet guy. He's not super emotional, he's just very there in the background. Dad, like- is that you? Just kidding. I was like, is it him? Is he here? But (laughs) he is very
0: cool. I think that's a dad thing. There's like two different types of dads. You have like the like very outgoing, like boisterous
1: or you have the just. I was going to say boisterous and you took the word out of my mouth. Joe also worked at General Electric. It was like the largest employer of people in that area. He was content to quietly watch television or go have a drink with his friends at the bowling alley didn't really fuss over too much. The two went about life working and starting their family. On May 31, 1967, Barbara was born. On January 10th, 1970, Joe Jr. was born. In October of 1971, Mary Beth's father suffered and succumbed to a heart attack. But a few months later, on it was the day after Christmas in 1971, Jennifer was born. So in just a couple of years she had 3 children. Mary Beth and Joe's third child, Jennifer was born with what was described as hemorrhagic meningitis. She had multiple brain abscesses. The entire pregnancy had been very hard on Mary Beth. She was sick and unable to care for her other children. She left them with her mother-in-law for sometimes weeks on end. She felt so bad. She knew something was wrong. And unfortunately, Jennifer only lived a little more than a week before she succumbed to her illness on January third, nineteen seventy-two. Mary Beth appeared shaken, but doctors and nurses noted that she never cried for her baby. The hospital employees said that she seemed seemed odd. Unfortunately for Mary Beth, this was not a time when there was resources or support offered to a mother after losing her baby. So it could have just been that she was in shock and didn't know how to feel. Like I am one who
0: sometimes I can cry easy, but when it's like a huge dramatic event like that, like I,
1: it's like you're numb.
0: Yeah, it's just like. I've had family members die where if you didn't know me, like, personally, you'd be like, man, this girl is heartless. Because oh, I
1: yeah. Just like, for sure. It's just like. Tch. So her I husband, just- Joe, took the news stoically as well. Again, he wasn't an emotional man. He took things, all things, good or bad, as God's will not to be questioned. Well, Jennifer never left the hospital. Her autopsy listed her cause of death as acute meningitis. So Mary Beth left without her baby and returned to her older two children, only to storm back into the hospital 17 days later, on January 20th, 1972. With two-year-old Joey Jr. in her arms, Mary Beth begged doctors to help her son after she claimed he had suffered from some sort of seizure and then choked on his own vomit. The doctors kept him under observation for several days. Despite extensive testing, nothing seemed to be wrong with the little boy, and they sent her home. Within hours of sending her home, she returned with Joe Jr. The little boy was lifeless in her arms. She claimed that she had laid him down for a nap after he told her he was tired, and she thought she would check on him after he slept longer than what was normal, and she found him blue wrapped in his blankets. His cause of death was listed as unknown, and no autopsy was performed. So in 20 days, she's lost two of her children. Barbara Ann was almost five years old when she was rushed to the same emergency room on March 2, 1972, two months after the death of baby Jennifer and a month and a half after the death of Joseph. Barbara was having trouble breathing, and then she began convulsing is what her mother claimed. The emergency room was unable to help her, but asked that Barbara stay overnight in order to be monitored, and Marybeth declined. She said that they didn't need to keep her overnight, that she would take her home and keep an eye on her. The two returned home, only to come back again to the ER hours later, Barbara now unconscious. Barbara was revived, but in a medically induced coma, and she died the next day in the hospital. Her death was not reported to the medical examiner, but the hospital autopsy reported that her cause of death was brain edema, swelling of the brain. Due to her fever and convulsions, they told Mary Beth that she had likely passed from Ray's syndrome. And at one time, a Ray's syndrome diagnosis might come from symptoms like that. But if there was a closer, more modern examination today of these, it might reveal that Barbara had been suffocated. Ray syndrome and SIDS, which are both important to this case, were both brand new in the medical community, so there wasn't a lot known about either at the time. Mary Beth had no children to return home to. All three had died within three months of each other, and they weren't all babies. She had had two loving, beautiful children for almost five years, two and a half years. And as I'm reading Connie's WTF face Mm -hmm. and you're like, wow, that's suspicious. There were different doctors every time she went in. And after her children died, no one wanted to be like, Hey, did you do anything to your kids? Especially when they were overwhelmed with grief, Mm -hmm. especially after Jennifer who Seemingly died from nothing that Mary Beth had done herself, but maybe Jennifer was the catalyst that had changed Mary Beth forever. She later recounted to a friend that Barbara had suddenly come down with Ray's syndrome and the last thing she had told her mother was that she was going to see her little brother in heaven that night. But of all Mary Beth's children, with the exception of Jennifer, they were all healthy at birth until their untimely death. And I say all because Mary Beth continued having children. She had nine. What? Joe and Mary Beth moved from their home in Mount Pleasant to a ground-level apartment in Schenectady, New York, a fresh start for two grieving parents. On July 3rd, 1972, Mary Beth contacted social services to ask how she might become a foster brother. In their file, the loss of Jennifer from cancer and Barbara and Joey from Ray's Syndrome was noted. The social worker's heart broke for the Tinnings. She described the couple as warm. Mary Beth was outgoing and noted that she was not ready to adopt, but she was determined to be a mother, and she wanted to be a stay-at-home mom. Joe was marked as saying that he just, they just wanted to help a child, that they weren't fostering to fill a void in their lives left by the death of their other three kids. They were determined to be compatible with fostering, um, but it was also noted that they would probably be hurt when it was time for a child to leave their home. So they fostered a little boy for a short time and then a 10-year-old girl, and Joe grew really attached to the girl. She reminded him of Barbara. Mary Beth's mother found her a job serving at a local diner, and she was soon transferred to another diner where her co-workers described her As erratic and having a short temper, but she was a great server who really got along well with the customers. Early in 1973, Mary Beth lost interest in fostering when she became pregnant for the fourth time. She sent the girl back with social services and closed her home. I know. So, what a bitch. The file stated that the home was closed due to the physical condition of the foster mother. Joe was heartbroken. After the death of Barbara, her OB refused to continue treating Mary Beth because after Barbara, people started talking, not talking enough to, you know, police, alert the authorities to alert the authorities, but enough to say, mm, this seems sus. Yes, this seems sus. Like, we're not going to treat you anymore. But they didn't have proof the doctor couldn't say that she had killed her children but they began to assume that that was the case so she got a new ob at bellevue hospital timothy tenning was born on thanksgiving day november 21st 1973 at bellevue timmy was a tiny little baby he had jaundice he weighed only five pounds and he had a head full of white blonde hair His parents took him home two days later, despite the doctor suggesting Timothy stay longer so that his jaundice could be treated. On December 10th, when he was only three weeks old, Mary Beth rushed him into the ER at Ellis Hospital, already dead. She told the doctor, who didn't know anything about the Tinnings family history, that she had found him in his crib just the same way. His cause of death was listed as SIDS, and the nurses on the unit talked about how they suspected that maybe Mary Beth had done something. Timothy was the first tinning child death to be reported to a medical examiner. As we know, the system isn't perfect. Mm -hmm. The assistant, Emmy, never gave a report to the main medical examiner. No autopsy was ordered for Timothy. They had also noted that the baby had died of SIDS. Mary Beth's sister-in-law, Carol, said that just as she hadn't at had Barbara and Joey's funeral, Mary Beth did not shed a tear. She seemed to enjoy the attention that she was receiving from the funeral goers. Carol had a son with cerebral palsy from a previous marriage, and he wore leg braces. And no sooner had Mary Beth met Carol than she was asking if she could take Joel carol's boy shopping at the mall when they returned marybeth gushed about all of the strangers who had complimented her for taking care of him considering quote-unquote considering the shape he was in carol also suspected that marybeth stole money from her but she did not like her at all no one had ever said anything like that to her at the mall she just thought that she was kind of full of shit and money itself was a point of contention for pretty much everyone around Marybeth. She spent it faster than Joe or herself could earn it and faster than she could receive it because Marybeth was getting an insurance check for the deaths of each child. In 1974, the money arguments between Joe and Marybeth continued Carol's missing money. They had recently been robbed of all of the money for Joe's bowling club and some of his bowling supplies Joe's brother urged him to leave Marybeth or get a vasectomy, especially after Joe complained about the money, and as of late, all of his food had been bitter, he also mentioned. Shortly after Joe told his brother this, Carol, the sister-in-law, awoke to a phone call at 3 a.m. Marybeth was screaming on the other end that her husband was dead. She and Joe's brother, Andy, rushed over and found Joe blue and tangled in his bedsheets. Mary Beth was fully dressed in the corner, repeating over and over, I didn't do it. I didn't do it. Carol called the ambulance and the police. They got Joe to the hospital in the nick of time and they were able to save his life they told Andy at the hospital that he had attempted suicide with a lethal dose of phenobarbital, which is the same medication that Carol and Andy had asked Joe and Mary Beth to pick up for them because Joel had to take it for his cerebral palsy. Joe refused to press charges and he swept it under the rug. So tensions rose with Joe's family. Carol backed Mary Beth into a corner and called her on her bullshit, which is why we stand Carol in this. Story. Carol stand. Carol is the only person in Joe's family who consistently called social services, tried to get people to see what was happening and like called Mary Beth out. She told her that she knew she had tried to kill Joe, she said she knew that Mary Beth stole her money. She knew that she had stolen the bowling club money and Carol wanted her to admit it. Mary Beth broke into tears and she did admit it. Carol told her, you know what? You need help. Like something is wrong. This isn't normal. Let's go see a psychiatrist. And so Carol took her to the ER, asked to see a psychiatrist or a psychologist Andy, Carol, and Joe all sat in the waiting room for what seemed like an eternity. When they finally went to the desk to ask how Mary Beth was, she had called a ride and dipped out of the hospital before seeing anyone. She just left them there, waiting in the waiting room. What a fucking uh. <sighs> and life just went back to the way it was. Mary Beth went back to work, and before long, she was pregnant again. Nathan Tinning was born on Easter Sunday, March 30th, 1975. Bright blue eyes and blonde hair, a beautiful baby boy. He lived for almost six months until the day that his mother rushed into the diner that she worked at and asked a fellow server for help because her baby was not breathing. She said she had stopped at a vegetable stand two or three miles down the road, and when she came back to the car, the baby was making funny, gurgling noises. The waitresses called for help, but they asked her, why didn't you stop somewhere closer? Why didn't you go to the hospital? Why did you come here? The manager was attempting CPR, and Marybeth just said she didn't know what to do. An ambulance arrived and rushed baby Nathan to the hospital, where he was placed on life support, but he did not make it. Everyone was horrified that this was Mary Beth Tenning's fifth child that had died while in her care. When the cause of death could not be established because Nathan had no congenital deformities, it was listed as acute pulmonary edema. Due to the number of obituaries that had been posted, strangers had now begun to take note of the Tenning children's horrific fates her coworkers noted that when she returned, it was like she enjoyed talking about it. They began to quietly make phone calls to child protective services about Marybeth Tinning. Carol and Andy adopted a baby girl. Marybeth seemed to resent the attention that the couple and the baby had received, so Marybeth decided that she too should adopt a baby. Michael was born on August 3, 1978. While she had been waiting to complete the adoption, she became pregnant with Mary Frances, her daughter, who was born on October 29th the same year. On January 20th, 1979, Mary Francis hung lifeless in her mother's arms as she was rushed into St. Clair's emergency room in an all-too-familiar scene. She had been found lifeless in her crib, but this time, the ER staff was able to revive Mary Frances. And it led to a diagnosis of aborted SIDS, which is what happens when they're right on the cusp, but they are able to be revived. The hospital insisted on keeping Mary Frances in the pediatric ward for two weeks. And while the staff was suspicious at first, Mary Beth seemed to genuinely love her children, alive and dead. She talked about them. She coddled Mary Frances. She allowed the records of her previous children to be sent to St. Clair's Hospital from Ellis for comparison, even though she could have refused. And it just didn't seem to be the actions of someone who had attempted or actually murdered their own children. She spent all of her time at the hospital. She would cry to whoever would listen about what had happened. She would talk about how lonely she was, how her friends and family had abandoned her in her time of need. Some of the nurses said that they wanted to believe that Mary Beth could never do such a thing, but it was hard because no matter how many sob stories they heard, she could never look them in the eye. A well-known doctor in the area sent Mary Frances to Boston Children's Hospital to undergo extensive testing and look for any kind of chromosomal abnormalities or anything that might present as some kind of death gene, but the findings were completely normal so they just suggested an apnea monitor. On February 20th, Mary Beth brought her back, this time in full cardiac arrest. She was revived again, but this time she was brain dead. As she stayed on the respirator, Mary Beth said that she would keep it on until her heart had stopped. But she did have friends and family there that were with her, that were supporting her, telling her that her adopted son Michael needed her, that it was okay to let go. Again, the nurses noticed that who she claimed to be versus what they felt about her were two very different things. Doctors agreed after Mary Frances that something seemed strange and they suggested an investigation. So they went through every, they pulled every thread they could and they could not find a shred of evidence that this mother had suffocated her babies. They were suspicious, but the investigation brought nothing forward. There was no evidence. So the cause of death was listed as no anatomic cause of death. Mary Frances was buried next to her five siblings. Mary Beth was pregnant less than a month later.
0: Okay, at this point, like her husband ha- is part of the fucking problem. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm just going to say it. Like, you know what is happening to your kids. You cannot be that blind to it that.
1: They're being left with their mom. I think he was literally being like intentionally being like oblivious, like intentionally oblivious to what it was. And uh, we're going to talk about Joe in a minute because Joe sticks by Mary Beth to the very end. Even after she literally poisoned him with phenobarbital and tried to kill him. Yeah, that's what I was saying. She tried to kill you. He literally let everyone believe that he attempted suicide instead of telling anyone that his wife poisoned him she had crushed like 70 pills into a cup of grape juice and gave it to him
0: i'm equally as
1: disgusted with
0: him at this point to be perfectly
1: honest because you just yeah. keep getting this bitch pregnant who keeps your kids keep dying yeah and you're just like he goes he said it says he wears the same suit to every funeral and just sits there in the corner While it happens, while Mary Beth, like, prances around and, like, acts like some kind of demented hostess, so messed up. Mm. They still had their adopted son, Michael. He was six and a half months old, and he was as sturdy as they came. But he did develop a hernia after going camping. His adoptive parents took him to the hospital, and they told Mary Beth that Michael was black and he needed to be tested for sickle cell trait before undergoing surgery for the hernia to prevent any complications. Mary vehemently denied that Michael was black. She told everyone that he was Italian, which was not true. She would not let him be tested. And the doctors went ahead with the surgery because he had to have it, but it was a serious risk she took, and the doctors knew that it was. Fortunately, he was fine, but they noted that it was Mary Beth that had declined everything. Her next baby was born November nineteenth, nineteen 1979, weighing less than five pounds. Nason had suspected kidney abnormalities and hypospatias. They kept him in the hospital for weeks because they knew, they knew that if she took this baby home, he would be back and not alive. The doctors kept a very close eye on him just to maybe see if Jonathan was the answer to the other quote, unexplained deaths. With some extra testing that they did, they learned that Jonathan, like his siblings, did have abnormally high blood ammonia levels. This was especially uncommon in infants. All of the babies had hyperammonemia. Mary Frances's Blood ammonia level had been almost 340 micrograms, but after 72 hours in the hospital, it had dropped to the normal 72. Jonathan died March 24th, 1980, after an eerily similar emergency room trip that mirrored Mary Frances' last. Both had ended up in the ER, underwent extensive testing, and then were referred to Boston's Chil- Boston Children's Hospital, they left after they were resuscitated and mom- monitored, and then they returned days later after being sent home dead. The cause of death was cardiopulmonary arrest. When Michael was two and a half, he toppled down some stairs, and he was rushed to the hospital by ambulance. He got a Band-Aid, and they suggested that he might have a mild concussion, but he was fine. The nurses reported the incident to Child Protective Services and they told Mary Beth because no one is getting more mad than the nurses in these ERs, like all of the different ones she's taking these kids to. And they're like, you are going to be investigated. They barely talked to her anymore when she came in. They were very cold to her. If they saw her walk in the door, they knew what was happening. Allegedly, a caseworker did call Mary Beth, but that was the extent of that investigation. But Michael's symptoms weren't going away. He wasn't balanced like a normal three-year-old. He was vomiting. He was screaming. He was holding his head constantly. Mary Beth refused to take him back to the ER. On March 1st, Mary Beth claimed that she could not wake Michael. She called her in-laws. They told her, go to the emergency room right now, but she didn't. She called the doctor's office and told them, that it wasn't an emergency, that she just needed someone to see her son, she took him to the doctor's office two hours later. And the nurse who saw her in the waiting room knew what she would find wrapped in the blanket that Mary Beth clutched. This time, the cause of death was acute pneumonia. Michael did have pneumonia, but not severe enough to warrant his death. And this bitch had another kid before police finally knocked on her door. On August 22, 1985, Mary Beth was 42 when she gave birth to Tammy Lynn. On December 19th, she called a friend who was also an LPN and asked her to rush over. Cynthia Walter arrived to find Tammy Lynn unmoving and purple. Mary Beth claimed that she came out to check on her and found her tangled in the sheets, unresponsive, and the baby was pronounced dead at the emergency room. Her cause of death was listed as SIDS. Cynthia went to her friend's house the next day to show support to Marybeth and Joe, but she found them just eating breakfast like nothing had happened. After the funeral, she again invited friends over for brunch, just hosting a party. Police arrived after this investigation was opened, and Marybeth announced, I know why you're here. You're going to arrest me and take me to jail. Joe told police he had suspected his wife, but chose to trust her, which I'm sorry. Arrest his ass too. Your entire family is calling CPS. They're telling you to leave. They're like the doctors and nurses. Everyone is suspecting this and you're just sitting there. "Mm, Not cool. They could not get an arrest out of the 14 years of paperwork that had accumulated over nine child deaths. They had to interview Mary Beth Tinning, and they did for hours and days. She continued to say over and over that she didn't do it, but inevitably she had to confess, and she did. Mary Beth confessed to killing Tammy Lynn, smothering her when she started to cry, And Timothy and Nathan. She stated, I had two children who died because I put a pillow over their face, as I did with Tammy. I did this because I felt I was not a good mother because I lost the other children. But she hadn't done the same to Nathan. She had used a sofa pillow that she had taken in the car with her, and he had been crying. She claimed that she used the pillow again until he stopped crying and she didn't know how long it took, and then she went to the diner. His time of death suggested that he may have been suffocated at home and then placed into the car seat and driven to the diner where Mary Beth worked. The waitress that she asked for help with had told Mary Beth over and over again how cute Nathan was, how sweet he was. She knew how much the, the waitress loved that baby, and she did it to spite her. She maintained that she didn't hurt her other six children. She was arrested and charged with the murder of Tammy Lynn. Many things were suggested to be the reason why Mary Beth was never caught. People being generally uncomfortable confronting a mother who had lost child after child. The causes of death being consistent with the autopsies. The lack of communication between hospitals, social services, medical examiners, and police. And inevitably, psychologists who say that Marybeth Tinning had Munchausen syndrome by proxy. She enjoyed the attention she got after losing each of these children. Marybeth tried to say that she had been coerced, that the police had threatened her, that the babies all died from a genetic predisposition. But after going to trial, the jury deliberated for over 20 hours. Over three days, and on the afternoon of July 17th, 1987, Mary Beth Tinning, 44, was found guilty of murder in the second degree in the, the death of Tammy Lynn, showing a depraved indifference to human life. The jury could not agree whether she had intended to kill her child. Are you because fucking it, kidding me? Because they were only looking at the one. She was sentenced to 20 years to life, and I know you're all already pissed off, but to piss you off even more, Tinning, when she was 76 in 2018, was released in August. She served 31 years. Her husband, who supported her through her entire imprisonment, was there for her release. And as part of it, she has to remain under parole supervision for the rest of her life. But she's out. She's a free woman. Now would be a good time to enter the screen. This rage break is brought to you by our best friends in podcasting, Zencaster. Please take the next 10 seconds to scream, seethe, or just yell, What the fuck? regarding the information that you've just listened to.
0: I have very seldom since we've been doing this podcast have a case that has infuriated me as much as this.
1: I knew it was going to make you mad, honestly. And on it, it made me mad. How does this happen nine times Yeah, over more than a decade, like 15 years of this happening in the same area? They're going into the same hospitals Doctors, no. And there were doctors still, like, defending her up until, like, the seventh kid. Who, how, how does one who has
0: so many unexplained child deaths adopt a baby?
1: Exactly. And honestly, one who had already been in the foster system and then just said, I got Gain- pregnant. Yeah, <sighs> I can actually oh, tell you how she adopted the baby. Um, around the time she adopted her, the late 70s, early 80s, a lot of adoption like legislation was going through, making it safer. And people started doing baby brokers where they would buy a baby and someone would, maybe a lawyer, someone who that was their job, it's fucked up either way. They paid five thousand dollars for Michael and bought him. To murder him. To murder him, yes. I have not felt like she I was jealous it. of her sister-in-law, who had adopted a daughter. Her son her sister her sister-in-law and brother-in-law um Joel with cerebral palsy was from a previous marriage, but she just felt like maybe they shouldn't try to have babies due to her genetics and they opted to adopt, which fine, that's your choice. But to see that and see like the attention that they're getting and be like, me too. I want that. That's, and how, and then Carol who tried to get her help, who was like, something is wrong with you. Let's get help. And she just ghosts them in a fucking hospital waiting room. That's the balls. I would have fucking killed her. Honestly. Like if I was Joe, I would have put 70 phenobarbital in her grape juice.
0: To be one of those nurses who know what is happening and there is you can nothing. See
1: it. I am and feel helpless. that helpless, like a lot of I. I did read. I would that. have been like, "I'm so sorry, your baby passed away
0: in the NICU. Oh, sorry, go home." And then I would have just taken the baby.
1: And it's just like Mary Francis revived, and Nathan they were both revived and healthy after leaving. That's and what then me off. I feel like she after went back for it again.
0: Yeah oh stupid bitch if i knew if i knew where she lived i would go stand in front of her house with a sign every single day this reads you are a baby killing monster
1: right like that's where all those abortion protesters should actually be standing in front of fucking marybeth tenning's house
0: dude and her husband
1: believe that she is free i i understand I understand that. Why couldn't they have introduced all the other babies? It's a pattern. Like, she confessed. It's a pattern. And they tried. Like, a couple of years later, they tried to, because she had confessed to Nathan and Timothy. But again, because babies are so smooth, the, the evidence they had lined up with SIDS. So it could have easily, they they could have gotten off on it anyways. I would have taken. I.
0: I think that was an error. I think it would have placed oh, yeah. in ju- placed in just enough reasonable doubt in a juror, especially if they had kids. If if a mom is sitting or a parent is sitting on that jury, and they're like, "She
1: admitted." I mean, it's a confession. You have it's a confession, and it's like, okay, maybe for a while, you can say death gene. Maybe three kids. All right, I I can see why. Like a community might be like that's really heartbreaking for her. I'm sorry, but after your adopted son, who has no genetic link to you, also passes away, um, what the fuck is going on at Mary Beth Sitting's house? And they were all only in her care. Joe was never there when it happened. Or if he was, he was, it was like the middle, like with Tammy Lynn, it was like three in the morning or something.
0: I don't understand how you don't pr-
1: prosecute with a
0: confession.
1: I don't know That either.
0: is blowing my mind, and I am so pissed off by that. Like, I am so pissed off. You have a goddamn confession. You have a confession. I don't understand what else evidence do you need.
1: What, her, what do you need? Her re... Acting things, saying that she was threatened and coerced into saying it, you know the same, this the usual suspects. That is, this is the most
0: disgusting case I've ever heard.
1: Yeah, it's fucking awful. It's
0: disgusting on her level, her husband's level to sit that, just sit there and say you were purposely like you turned a blind eye. Oh, I was just I chose to no. Your kids are
1: literally in prison for. 30 years and you just hang around? Like, mm. no. You could have had. Ugh. You honestly, he didn't deserve to have. They deserve each other. They truly do. They deserve to be miserable forever.
0: Yeah, because at that point, it's not a you're scared thing because she's in prison. You could have ran as far away. Like, your kids are being murdered. Nine of them specifically like nine of your kids every single child that came into your house besides the 10 year old that she sent away which luckiest break that girl ever got no joke
1: um joe was suggested that after she tried to kill him um joe just sat back and just let her like stayed out of her way to prevent anything from happening to him again but it's like, leave. He's kept that's- getting her pregnant. Go get a secret vasectomy. Right. So and she never can get pregnant. You do, like, go get one. And she had told people she had gotten a tubal after her last one and that it was, it was a miracle that she was pregnant again. But the doctor I- who allegedly gave it to her was like, I never gave her a tubal. I told her that I would do it and that she should get one. And she declined.
0: I would have thrown my medical license out the window and I would have done something traumatic to where she had to have a hysterectomy or something
1: like that. I'd have been like, "Oops, oops, let out on the table. It happens. I don't know what happened. She just kept bleeding. Like she's lucky that she didn't get jumped in an alley by a gang of nurses who worked at those hospitals.
0: It makes me so sick. Yeah, it's disgusting i was just like i don't cry very easy and then i'm like sobbing (sighs) uh i cannot believe that that big of a oversight from like an investigation cps standpoint was a a, was allowed like
1: nine kids in 14 years it's like a kid every other year Hmm. every year and a half this is shit is happening and it's the same hospitals like the nurses know you like this is not like it's like you're going to different states no she i mean they did move a lot they moved to different like places but it was you know it was ellis and it was st Clair's. it was bellevue it was the same three and at ellis i guess it was more of don't quote me on this because i'm not Exactly. Sure. But I believe it was a state hospital and she stopped going there because people started fucking calling her out when she walked in. They were like, "Mm -mm, you, I guess one, like one lady told her that she needed to get her tubes tied if she was trying to fill up the cemetery and she stopped going there. She went to the Catholic hospitals because she didn't think that they would talk to her like that there. She's no longer getting sympathy. They were seeing her for what she truly was. This is a fucking monster.
0: If you're listening to this and you're thinking, "I would love to start a podcast, you should. Zencaster has everything you need to record and produce a high quality, ready to publish podcast. Zencaster makes our remote recording completely possible because we're busy. We don't have time to learn a bunch of different systems. So please start a podcast. You're the only you. You're the only one who has your specific opinions. Grab a mic, maybe grab a friend or two. Head over to ZenCaster.com/pricing. Use promo code Gruesome for thirty percent off your first three months, or click the link in any of our bios, and then tell us about your podcast. I said the f word way more times than I have. I honestly, what we did. We
1: dropped some bombs. This I'm one. sorry. It's just so messed up it's crazy i am appalled like i want to find out
0: where she lives now and go punch her in the face that is how
1: disgusted
0: i am with this and i want to kick her husband in the balls as well i hope that when it is her time to pass it is the most excruciating death that i could wish upon anyone. I hope they bring her back enough times, maybe nine to be exact, and then just finally let her fucking die. And I hope the rest of her life is miserable. And I hope his is too, because fuck him as well. That's you know, you know, you know, she's killing your kids, and I can't get past that. I think I'm more mad at him than I am at her for just letting it happen forever just for that long, her pregnant. Like, goddamn, man,
1: come on, ugh. She went up before the parole board six times until it was finally granted in August of 2018. But she still lives in that same area, in the same house that she shared with her husband.
0: I want to send her mail every day with confetti dicks in it. And when she just opens it, it's just dicks
1: everywhere. And she just has a Dicks and potatoes. Just send her dicks and rotten potatoes. Dude, what the hell? Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. Glad everyone. We
0: re- I'm glad we recorded this one early in the day because I'm gonna stew on this all night.
1: <laughs> I um I was also glad because I did not want to go to bed thinking about this case. Like I'm gonna have to watch like a cartoon, like an animated movie or something to not think about it.
0: I think it's hard to we're moms. Like we yeah. are moms. And I would do I mean, I've had kids that were sick. I mean, I've been at a hospital with a kid with, like, 105 fever. Like, my middle son's fever was, like, 106 last year when we went in. Like, it's – I've been at the hospital. I mean, I've – all three of my kids were born premature. I've – my youngest daughter was in the hospital for a week after we had her. And I didn't want attention and sympathy, like – no, you just don't want your kid to be okay. I want my kid to be fine. Like I, I, um, my daughter had central sleep apnea. So when she was first born, cause she, I had her early, she would gasp when she was sleeping. Like it was like she was pausing. And at first, like I took her to like ENT cause I thought like it was like tonsils or adenoids or something. And then when we had to do an MRI, she was, 11 months old, I think when we did it, she, um, and they do this MRI because with central sleep apnea, cause like her sleep study, they came in and put oxygen on her during her sleep study. That's how severe it was doing this MRI. Cause they're telling you, like, they have to give you like the specific reasons. They're like, we are looking for a tumor. We are looking for a brain deformity, something. And that was the longest 24 hours of my life. Like, I don't think that I, I mean, You don't breathe that sigh of relief until they're like, look, it's okay. She's probably going to grow out of it. I mean, she was still on oxygen for another year when she slept. I was getting ready to
1: ask, is she still on oxygen?
0: No, she finally grew out of it. I mean, she still has some episodes, but it's not significant enough where she has to keep oxygen on. But, I mean, that is terrifying. Like, it's terrifying. I don't even like to think about it because it was such a traumatic time for all of us. And I just can't, I can't imagine her, like, do find something else to, if you need attention?
1: Anything else? Okay. like okay. be sick yourself. Like pretend you're sick. Mm-hmm. Send your kids to places where they're not in danger. Like you're willing Ugh. Mm. <sighs> yeah, mm. I know it sucked. I'm sorry about it. I felt like I really had to when I was reading it. It was like I kept getting ahead of myself because it's it makes you so angry and you're just like, I'm going to tell you this, but I'm already mad about it, so I'm going to talk faster because I'm mad yeah. about it. And yeah.
0: I'm going to take a quick ad break and then we're going to come back with a happier story. Lighter topic. <laughs> Has your brand been struggling to reach the correct audience when advertising? We've all done it. Maximize privacy filters on our phones and apps because who wants to be talking about something for it to pop up mysteriously later? It's weird and everyone hates it. Did you know that podcast advertising is way more effective than display advertising? With 67% of listeners remembering brands and 63% making a purchase after hearing them. You know how much we love Zencaster and their new creator network is no different. Whether you want to diversify your ad spend, add a new marketing stream, or test out podcast ads, Zencaster's Creator Network makes it easy for brands to connect with podcasters. Zencaster's Creator Network is a perfect place for you to get into podcast ads and sponsor your favorite creators like us. So stop wasting advertising dollars on ad campaigns that aren't targeting your niche audience. Let Zencasters Creator Network match you with podcasters who can ensure that your target audience is being reached. We love Zencaster so much and being able to see ad opportunities come across our dashboard with a percentage match to see how much our audiences line up is game changing. It helps creators really get behind brands that mean something to them. And with a podcast show for just about anything you can think of, your brand is no exception. Are you interested in sponsoring this show or podcast ads for your business? Go to zen.ai slash gruesome and fill out the contact information so Zencaster can help you bring your business story to life. I want to brighten everybody's day with this story because after that case, we need it. I'm gonna tell you about what happened to me this weekend. I took my 12 year old, first of all, I have bred an army of miniature emo children. They like all the good music, They, my oldest, I mean, it's not emo, but like my oldest is obsessed with Def Leppard. Like knows every one of their songs. Like, this is a good story. Okay. We're good. Like he's obsessed with it. So he has been asking for like two years now to go see a Def Leppard concert. And I was like, okay, the guy, okay, fine. So I bought him tickets me, it was supposed to be me, my mother-in-law, and my son going to see Joan Jett and Black Hearts, Poison, Motley Crue, and Def Leppard. So we go. My mother-in-law actually uh, got sick, so she couldn't go. So we took my oldest girlfriend, who is also 12.
1: Just First you step. and 12-year-old kids at a Motley Crew concert. Which is God me. intended.
0: <laughs> side note. <laughs> I've never, whenever I go to a concert, I never eat because I usually like drink beer. I spent a hundred dollars on three pieces of pizza, nachos and Dippin' Dots. Ooh, <laughs> I know ouch. That's, that's what I, that's the thought I had too. So JoJet was up first. She was phenomenal, like phenomenal. I was up uh, like in awe at how amazing she sounded. Like they were just amazing. Next up was Poison. I think Poison's a little cringe, but it was a really good show. Like, it was great. Def Leppard and Motley Crue took turns throughout this tour. It's like a stadium tour on who goes first and who closes out the show. Motley Crue was next. And I... I am embarrassed to say how obsessed I am with Tommy Lee because I know he is like a gross individual. But there is something about that dash of trash that I'm just here for.
1: Dude, if you've never read The Dirt, the Molly Crew bio, highly Uh, recommend. Yeah, I have. And he's like, (laughs) like he's gross. The story of them sticking their dicks in breakfast burritos changed who I Mm -hmm. was as a person. I was like, "Mm, nope, 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 nope. I thought that it Motley Crue would be
0: sh- closing out the show. I didn't know. And that's kind of the vibe. I was like, all right, Motley Crue's going to be... I don't know how that's going to be. Def Leppard is... Cl- they're class acts, you know? It's fucking Def Leppard. <laughs> <As> classy, <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> as classy as they can be. So, Motley Crue's up, and it's it sounds great. Like, uh, what's his name? Vince Neil was a little... His... Age has taken a toll on him. <laughs> he, the vocals were eh, but the music itself was amazing. Everything was going good. And I want you guys to know that my kids are sheltered children <laughs> for the most part. My 12-year-old is like, there's a lot of stuff he doesn't watch. We don't watch anything with nudity, none of that. Well, then I hear Tommy Lee walk up. It's like the end of it. Like there's one, I had like pulled up the set list. So I knew like there was like one or two songs left. Right before Girls, Girls, Girls comes on. He's like, how are you going to call this place Cincinnati? And I haven't seen any titties. (laughs) Instantly, I'm like, no. Before (laughs) I could cover my 12-year-old's eyes, tits everywhere. Like, just girls, which I'm all for it. Like, honestly, like. Well, it's uh, like, that's the place to do it. If you're going to do it, yeah, why not? I I, I could say nothing. I got hot and sweaty and gross at a Taking Back Sunday concert once, and I watched half of the show in my bra. So, like, I get it. Like, but as a mom who was there with her 12-year-old who just wanted to watch Def Leppard, he got to see Boots for the first time with his mom and his girlfriend. (laughs) Again, just how God intended. Just how God intended. (laughs) And his face when i tell you i wish because i was like oh my god oh my god and then like i thought it was over and then they panned
1: back to the screen and like i would taken his hand down and there's just like more boobs that i I told you core memory right
0: there unlocked (laughs) memory and then to add to it uh there is a mom next to us who had her teenage daughters with her. It was like the mom, the husband, teenage daughters, and then maybe one of the teenage daughter's boyfriends. The mom got ham-samied, like like we did she on the it. Harry Potter. He earned it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it started off, she was just, and I felt, I saw myself in this woman. Like, I, <laughs> like she, first she's couple like, years, you and me, baby. Kissing up, like, she's like kissing up on her husband, and like, it was adorable. I was like, oh, look then I look over during Def Leppard and she had reached peak form and she was straddling her husband in, cause it's like a stadium. So it's like the, my, the Cincinnati red stadium. She's like straddling her husband in the chair, giving him a lap dance, like from the front. And I think nothing of it. Again, she earned that night. She, she can do did. whatever she wants. <laughs> my son is like staring like, oh my gosh. And so I thought, this is the perfect time to traumatize my child. And I looked at him. And I was like, what do you think dad and I do when we come to concerts without you kids? <laughs> it, was, no. it was
1: wild.
0: Like wow. wild. I was like, he's always going to remember that.
1: Can't wait to see your kid again. So I could be like, hey, man, how was the concert? And these were like, <laughs> go- like they were the girls that were like
0: flashing. Were like I said, they 20 years ago, no, not 20, that'd have been 33 or <laughs> I'd have been 13, but like 15 <laughs> years ago, 10 years ago, that could have been me, you know. But they were like surgically enhanced boobs, which is like dope. Lucky but him. I just looked, I looked at him and I said, that is not what they usually look
1: like. <laughs> like, <laughs> that is not the norm, friend. <laughs> what did but his it girlfriend went- do?
0: the look. So I thought that girls, we had a moment in life that made us jaded towards that type of thing. Like where we're (laughs) like,
1: jaded before becoming accepting. Yes. Yes.
0: And not so much like the girl, like, I don't think she had a problem with the girls doing it. It was my son looking. (laughs) And I thought that like something had to happen in like a, a past life where you like, just realize like, what are you doing? You're my boyfriend. But the look she shot him, like just a, <gasps> it just daggers. And I was like, ah, mm.
1: uh, to be 12. hmm. hmm. Man, that is a great story. And I'm honestly sad I wasn't there for it. I know you told me where it was. You're like, come on out. And I wish I could have gone because. Oh my gosh. I. That would have been hilarious. I didn't know what to do. Like, I'm there's nothing about, you can do no
0: and i was there's no way i was gonna be like oh my god those girls i just was like whoop let me just cover your eyes i didn't make one comment one way or the other other than letting him know that's not what they usually look like i just want to set his bar low for when that time comes <laughs> oh my god that's hilarious but the best was looking when, because Def Leppard put on an amazing show, like amazing. And watching, I didn't even watch them most of the time. I was just watching his face. He was like a Christmas tree. He was so lit up. It was amazing. So I, if any of you are thinking about taking your 12 year old son to the Motley Crue stadium <laughs> tour.
1: Bring a blindfold, I guess. Or you know what? Let him have it. <laughs> like. Again, he'll be telling that story when he's like in college, like yeah, with all his sure his friends will be like, dudes, the first time. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> oh, that'll be hilarious.
0: That was the first time I'd been to a concert where I had nothing to drink other than like Diet Coke. How was it? It's, it's weird, right? It's weird. It's weird.
1: Yeah. Since I um, quit drinking, concerts are... A little bit weirder, like, but I still enjoy them. Um, I'm really sad because I registered for the pre-sale Paramore tickets. That's going to be in Cincinnati and I got waitlisted. So now I can't get tickets. Uh, (laughs) Oh, but I I, I get a text that says you can buy them because I'm going to get them.
0: I, um, the previous night, like the, just the night before my husband, and I went to see the Doobie brothers.
1: (laughs) I know you had a big
0: concert week. It was exhausting. And like, that's my husband's jam. He was all about it. They it, it was a good show. It's just not really my style of music. Was Santana so there? No, that was two weeks ago. Like, we were supposed to go see Santana and Earth, Wind, and Fire. But Santana, Earthwind and Fire played, but then Santana was six. So they rescheduled that to August 3rd. But my middle sister sent me a text message that she got me and her tickets next week to go see the Backstreet Boys. So that's
1: more my jam. <laughs> they were just uh, in indiana um uh, my my sister-in-law went and she had the time of her life she said it was amazing
0: i love the backstreet boys so we'll i see. was an
1: in sync girl through and through really yeah for sure actually my brother texted me when the backstreet boys concert was happening and we had gone and seen them a couple of years ago my brother took me to go see backstreet boys and we went together and we had like a great time and I was like, honestly, wish it was in sync now. And he's like, Why did I take you to see Backstreet Boys? And I was like, Because Justin's never doing a reunion tour. Mm-mm. He doesn't need it, but I do. We do. I just want to see like Dirty Pop live. Live. I bought one hundred
0: butterfly clips that got delivered on Sunday, so I'm gonna put butterfly clips in my hair. The blue eyeshadows coming back. Like I'm 90, I'm gonna be 90s now. I'll have to post a picture so you guys can see me at a Backstreet Boys concert.
1: Yes, I'm so excited to see your butterfly clips. Now I want to order some too. Please don't. I have a hundred of them. I'll just give you some <laughs> next time. <I> can <laughs> That's what happened when I was like, I'm gonna order some scrunchies, and you were like, don't order scrunchies. <laughs> I have so. I still have so. I bought a hundred. Scr- it's just such a good deal at Amazon. I can't not <laughs> do it. Can buy. A hundred for fourteen cents. Yeah,
0: it's true. I don't even
1: know what these are made out of. Like carcinogens? I don't know. it's Definitely one hundred percent dollars. Got a hundred scrunchies.
0: I'm gonna twist it back like this and put the butterfly clips yeah. in. Yeah. So cute. So cute. This would be my sister and my older cousin, and he is a hoot at concerts. So that shall be fun.
1: Is that in Cincinnati also? Yeah. It's closer for me for Cincinnati,
0: but I just love going to concerts in Indy. I do too. It's fun. It was that or Machine Gun Kelly. And you know that no one wanted to go see Machine Gun Kelly with me. So
1: Look, I wanted to go. I couldn't go in the two days notice that you gave me. (laughs) That's ADHD. That's having a friend with ADHD. I wanted to go because Avril Lavigne was playing, but I did not want to see Machine Gun Kelly. I don't, I wanted to see Megan effects. I know, it's your dash of trash. I just like it. Like, I don't know why I just like it. They're disgusting. (laughs) My first husband.
0: (laughs) Just a dash of trash. I know what bad boys do. I'm not part of that. (laughs) I need my yacht rock listening, like, old man
1: husband. Yeah,
0: now you, you just need a yacht. And you'll be set. That's, my in-laws just bought their brand new pontoon. They've spent more on that pontoon than most people do on their houses. So it is Lordy. really nice though. Yeah. They told me what they spent. I was like, yikes.
1: That go on layway? Because <laughs> <laughs> I'll come pick it up in 20 years.
0: You can come out on it.
1: Oh, I can. Thank you. No one else though. Not, not anybody else. Just me.
0: <laughs> no one else. Just you.
1: Good. It only holds 14 people, which is quite a bit until you realize there's five of us. So actually, with your in-laws, there's seven already. Mm-hmm. That's half. It's half. I have I can fill up with half of the other people. I can
0: auction off tickets for our party barge if that's what you guys want.
1: <laughs> do you want to come on a on our party pontoon?
0: Not a party pontoon. For the low, low price of twenty thousand
1: dollars. Not worth it. Don't do it. we're not worth it we're not that fun (laughs) on that note (laughs) you'll catch me going to sleep at 8 (laughs) 30
0: it's true you do (laughs) but she'll be up bright and early to make us breakfast that's true i will all right we'll see you guys next week
1: bye thank you so much for listening to gruesome horrific true crime a zencaster powered podcast Seriously, we wouldn't be here without them. Zencaster is simple to use and makes it easy to edit your own podcast. Zencaster gives you automatic, high-quality post-production sound, transcription, and HD video recordings of all of your episodes. If you want to start a podcast, and we think you should, click the link in the show notes or at our website and use the code GRUESOME with a capital G for 30% off your first three months. We love you, beautiful strangers, and
0: if you love us too, here are some ways that you can support Gruesome. Please leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or a five-star rating on Spotify. This helps other true crime connoisseurs find us. Follow us at Gruesome Podcasts on Instagram or TikTok and talk to us on our
1: posts. Join the Patreon. Sign up to join our True Crime Sticker of the Month Club and gain access to bonus episodes and exclusive Patreon perks. Or if a one-time donation is more your thing, we have a Venmo at Gruesome Podcast and a PayPal via our email, gruesomepodcast at gmail.com. Speaking of which, we love hearing from you.
0: It seriously makes our whole life. So send us your questions, comments, suggestions, Or just ask our opinion on whether that person you met on Tinder is a
1: serial killer or not. Tune in next week and don't forget, lock your windows, lock your doors, and on Wednesdays, we're gruesome. gruesome. Bye. Bye. (laughs) Bye.